As a church, we worship a God who, a King, who went all the way to show us that He loved us. And today we we worship this King who was victorious, who reigns victorious but who accomplished his victory through the most unexpected way through the suffering of the cross we honor you Jesus today as we listen to your word Holy Spirit, open our hearts, stir our affections for you again. Give us more understanding about what it is you did for us that day. That we would not be people who squander your grace and just come without worshipping you God without worshipping the God who deserves it all who is worthy of it all so God we bow down before you King Jesus may your name be lifted high as we look to the cross today knowing that it was through your humiliation that you were in fact exalted as king as our king Lord if there are mindsets that we have that somehow look at the cross and don't see the victorious king that you are if perhaps all we see is a bloody man who did things that we didn't ask him to do a bloody man who went through all this suffering for things we don't really understand Holy Spirit only you can enlighten us today give us faith to see the reality of what happened on the cross in Jesus mighty name as a church we say amen you may be seated at home you may if you were standing with us in the worship you may make yourselves comfortable as I make myself comfortable too Good morning or afternoon, church. It's so good to see you here on site. And I'm imagining those faces, radiant faces, tuning in from home, whether you are recovering or whether you are isolating. We see you and we appreciate that you join with us in worshiping God together on this amazing day. 
We are going to turn to the Gospel of Luke this time. Um, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 26 to 43. <clears throat> Excuse me if my voice kind of loses its way for a little bit. As many of you do know, I, my family and I have recently recovered from COVID, and we are um, we have tested negative at this point, but our bodies are still in recovery. As those of you who have experienced it before, perhaps you understand what I mean by saying that our bodies are just slowly bouncing back to normal. And those of you who are going through it at home, uh, having been through it myself, I do realize one of the hardest things about it is not necessarily the virus itself, but having to go through it in isolation. And I just pray that the Lord will comfort you through your time in isolation, knowing that here as a church we see you and we are praying with you and praying that you will recover sooner rather than later. Today we are turning to the book of Luke chapter 23 verse 26 and 43 and at the foot of the cross we see something, uh, we observe something amazing happening even in the final moments of Jesus' death. From verse 23 we pick up, as the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon of Cyrene who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that have never bore and the breasts that never nursed. They, then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things, then the, when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked that man. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same 
sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is what Luke's gospel records from the eyewitnesses that were at the foot of the cross in Jesus's final dying moments. We see that Jesus was mocked by the Pharisees and the Roman soldiers who crucified him. They gave him a crown that was made of thorns and they placed a sign above his head that says, this is the king of the Jews. But clearly, they were doing this in a, in a spirit that sneered at who he was. One of the criminals who was but one of the criminals who was crucified with Jesus, he saw things differently. He didn't join with the mockers. He didn't insult this man. He believed that Jesus was not a criminal, but he was in fact a king. He says, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what was Jesus' response? As he took his final breaths, Jesus welcomes this man. He welcomes this man into the kingdom of God. What kind of king would willingly suffer and die on a Roman cross and welcome a criminal into his kingdom. Jesus was declared a king at birth. It wasn't just after the resurrection that he became king. Jesus was born as a king. If we trace back to his birth, when he was born in Bethlehem, the Magi, which is a group of scholars and magicians from eastern lands, they came to Jerusalem before the earthly king, King Herod, and they asked, where is he who has born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. And as you can imagine, this greatly disturbed King Herod, who was the appointed king of the Jews under the authority of Rome at the time. You see, the Magi were not following a star. They were searching for a king. And King Herod knew that there was truth to what they were looking for. Jesus' birth had fulfilled a prophecy that was spoken through the prophet Isaiah 700 years prior. And Isaiah also prophesied the coming of a servant king 
who will establish God's kingdom through suffering, through the means of suffering. But the mockers, they stood at the foot of the cross and they shouted, Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Just earlier, we were singing a song, Shout Jesus from the Streets. But I wonder, 2,000 years ago, which, which crowd would you have been a part of? Given the people you look up to and the people you admire today, which crowd would you think Honestly, and you can answer this for yourself. Which crowd do you think you would have been a part of? The one who saw Jesus in weakness, crucified, bloodied on the cross and mocked him? Or the one who saw him that way but realized he was the king, our true king? We say we shout Jesus on the streets But let me be honest with you, sometimes when I see people shouting Jesus on the streets in in Fed Square or at Flinders Station, a part of me, a part of me kind of wants to be part of it. But there is a part of me that thinks, do I really want to be shouting Jesus in this moment from the streets? Which crowd would you have been a part of? You see, according to these mockers, in order for Jesus to really show himself as king, he must save himself and he must come down from the cross. I can understand their logic. A powerful person would surely exercise their power to save themselves in any life-threatening situation. We see this with worldly leaders. We see this with people with great wealth. We see this with people in high positions. They will exercise their power to save themselves. And so these mockers look directly at Jesus, at the crucified one. And they don't understand how such a man could be a king. They were blind to the ways of God's upside down kingdom. Because you see, Jesus is a king who rules by serving. On the cross, Jesus reveals his kingship, not by trying to save himself, but by dying to save others. The Romans considered crucifixion to be the most painful and shameful death amongst all the other executions. They were a cruel people. And crucifixion was the worst horrible death anyone could ever imagine at the time. But what did Jesus do? He chose to lay down his life for you and I in that way. In the most humiliating way, he chose that path for us. 
You see, in John chapter 10, verse 18, he says, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. You see, this king says he has the authority. And what does he do with his authority? He lays down his life for us. He chooses to give up himself as his act as king. By doing this, Jesus shows us that true power is very different from what most of us assume it to be. We're all too familiar with the corrupt and self-serving ways in which this world is often run. Even church leaders are guilty of this. From global empires to multi-million dollar businesses to even in the classroom and even in the household, we often see the abuse of power. The narrative of leaders exploiting their power for their own advantage is something we are all too common with. But you see, Jesus was not like any other man. He redefined power to his disciples in this way. In Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45, he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you, not so with the disciples of Jesus. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus ultimately showed what true kingship is like that moment on the cross. The way he expressed his power and authority throughout his earthly ministry was by serving even the fact that he became flesh, he became one of us, this holy son of God. He humbled himself. He didn't live a rich celebrity lifestyle. That was not Jesus. He humbled himself to a point of being a servant of all. He washed his disciples' dirty feet. And to these mockers, to these people at the foot of the cross who crucified him, Jesus looked foolish. He's thinking, you said you were the king of the Jews. Go save yourself. He looked like a, a foolish man. But in reality, we know that the cross was actually the victory of the kingdom of God. God was turning the logic of this world upside down. Upside down. You see, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolishness to the mockers. It's foolishness to those who would see a person like that 
and shame them. But to us, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What the man, what worldly men saw as foolish, God saw as wise. So don't you think that we've got to reassess our understanding of wisdom if what we see as potential foolishness could in fact be the wisdom of God? And so what victory did King Jesus accomplish on the cross? What was this victory? From the very beginning of creation, God has been on a mission to establish his reign on the earth. And he created human beings in his image to take part in that, to reign with him. But God's rule was disrupted when man rebelled against God. And with that rebellion came every kind of evil and suffering and sickness and pain. In the Genesis account, we learn that Adam, who had been created in the image of God, was given the task of ruling the earth, but he failed. He failed because he rebelled against God. He decided that by eating that forbidden fruit, he was going to decide what is good and evil, not God. He wanted wisdom for itself. He didn't want to rely on God's wisdom. And so what happened? Sin and every evil entered into God's creation. And sin at its core is against God. Adam and Eve rejected God as their king. And Satan, who had already launched his own kingdom project, became their ruler. You see, Adam and Eve thought that by eating that fruit, they would become rulers of their own lives. But little did they know, they become subject to the kingdom of Satan. Who? is Satan. Who is this? The Bible says that Satan is the ruler of the world and that the whole world is under his control. But of course we know that it is under his control by the sovereign power of God. In other words, for a time being, only God knows for how long God is allowing this to happen. Genesis chapters 1 to 2 depicts God as a king who reigns by his word. A king speaks and his will is done. That's God our king. But you see, God's word, it brings light and it brings life. And we saw that at creation. How does Satan rule the world? Well, Satan also rules the word, world by his words. His words are tempting. His words are deceiving. His words are accusing. And they can ultimately lead to death. You see, Satan cannot force human beings to sin. 
but he can tempt them. He can make sin look attractive. He can lie to them about how awesome sin is. And we see this in the conversation with Eve and at the garden. We saw Satan not making, not shoving the fruit in Eve's mouth. He doesn't do that. But he makes the fruit look attractive. And he twists God's word. He twists the truth. And he lies in Eve's face. And Eve's, Eve chooses to believe him. And instead of submitting to God as king, Eve submits to him as ruler. The Bible says that we too have sinned. Like Adam and Eve, we have strayed from a relationship with God and we have rejected him as king over our lives. Ephesians 2 verse 2, the apostle Paul describes it saying, we used to live in sin like the rest of the world and he says, obeying the devil. You see, when you're in sin, you're not your own ruler because you were not created to be a ruler. You were created to be a worshiper. So you're going to worship something. And you see, when we, were, when we removed ourselves under the authority of God, we became subject to the, Satan's rulership. He is the commander of the powers in the unseen world. But let's get back to the cross. What happened in that moment? On the moment on the cross, Jesus defeated the power of Satan by reconciling sinners with God. You see, Satan will have no power over us if we had a good relationship with God. But because we had enmity with God, because we had rebelled against God, it gave him dominion over our lives. And so on the cross, Jesus undoes the power of sin by reconciling us to God, by making peace, making us right with God. And by doing that, he disarms the power of the enemy in our lives. Romans 6 verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, the Apostle Paul uses the word wages to imply that we are getting what we deserve because of our sin. And God had warned Adam and Eve about the serious consequences of sin in the garden. But they didn't listen. Sin separates us from God. It makes us enemies of God. And the wages of our sin is eternal separation. There is no way we can restore that relationship with God on our own. But you know, when Jesus hung on that cross, what looked like weakness, 
what looked like defeat when he hung on that cross what he was doing was canceling the depth of your sin and my sin by paying it with his own life jesse had already read this before in isaiah 53 verse 5 jesus was pierced for our rebellion he was crushed for our sins he was beaten so that we could be whole he was whipped so that we could be healed you see on the cross jesus bears the penalty of sin by taking the place of a sinner like me like you only somebody who is sinless and did not deserve the death penalty themselves could have done that. Do you realize the implications of why it had to be Jesus? Because all of us deserve it. But only Jesus who is sinless could die for us. Only he was qualified for this assignment. And at the cross... Jesus disarms the power of the enemy to accuse you. You see, when the enemy accuses you of sin and guilt and condemnation, there's some truth to it. And he knows it. Because you are a sinner. You did deserve condemnation. You should feel guilty. There is shame with your sin. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to pause it that way. There is shame with our sin. But you see what Jesus did was he took that upon himself, canceled the debt of your sin so that when the enemy accuses you, he has no grounds. They're all lies now. Because in Jesus, you are clean. In Jesus, you are saved. You are forgiven. In Jesus, your debt is canceled. Excuse me. <clears throat> and this is how King Jesus establishes his kingdom on earth. This is how he reigns at the cross. At the cross. Only by believing in Jesus can we receive the forgiveness of our sins and have peace with God. Jesus is a king who has the authority to forgive your sins. No one else has the authority to forgive sins. Only Jesus. And that's because of what he did on that cross. And so he has the authority to declare you as righteous in God's sight. He has the authority to declare you as clean before the Lord. He has the authority to say that you are no longer a slave, but a child of God. This is King Jesus reigning from the cross. <clears throat> the enemy, his plan is to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But the moment Jesus entered our word, our world became flesh. You see, all of his life was for his atoning work. Because he lived the life we should have lived. In every moment of his life on earth, Jesus was sinless. 
sinless. He was completely obedient to God the Father. And up to the point of the cross, he was always faithful till the end. And so in him, he, his life and his power at work in our lives can actually undo the, the effects of sin. It actually has the power to redeem all that was lost, all that was taken away from us while we lived under the rulership of the enemy. It has the power to reverse it and to redeem it. That's how Jesus came to give life and life abundant. Because in Him, you will live in the righteousness of God. This is the exchange that happens through the cross. I love this excerpt by N.T. Wright. He says, the reason the cross carried such life-changing power and carries it still is because it embodied, expressed, and symbolized the true power of which all other earthly power is an imitation and a corrupt parody. The gospel of Jesus summons us to believe that the power of self-giving love unveiled on the cross is the real thing. It's the thing that defeats Every other power in this world is the real deal. And the other forms of power, the corrupt and self-serving ways in the world is often a distortion. People living under the deception, under the illusions set by the enemy of God. True power is what we saw on the cross. It looked like weakness but it was the greatest victory that was ever accomplished in human history. By six in the evening on that Good Friday, the world was already a different place because sinners were finally being reconciled to God. And that prisoner was one of them. That criminal was one of them. The power of love that day overcame the love of power. And the kingdom of God which came in power, did so through a crucified Christ. Just take that in for a moment. A crucified Jesus. We are so afraid to look weak. So afraid. So afraid to look like people who have done wrong or are imperfect and Jesus in that moment is exalted as our king what the world saw as humiliating Jesus was in fact being exalted fallen human logic fallen human logic who bullies by the way sees a defeated loser on the cross but by faith, we see a victorious king who had delivered his people from evil and established his kingdom. And so in these final moments, let us reflect at what Jesus, the heart of our king, was like. We hear 
that in his final breaths, Jesus was not even thinking of himself. But he says, Father, save them, for they know not what they do. He wasn't like, God, just, a, a, just destroy them. Like you did when you, in Noah's time. Just get rid of them. I'm your son. They're mocking me. Lord, show them who's boss. Jesus didn't say that. On the cross, you know what he says? Forgive them. Forgive them. He wasn't even thinking of himself. When these people were saying, save yourself, that was the furthest thing on his mind. Because here we see the most selfless person that ever lived. And then the criminal says, welcome me. You see, what this criminal acknowledged was Jesus was going through the same death he was going through. But he said he deserved it. He deserved it. But Jesus didn't. I wonder if you realize that as the criminal, maybe if you have the same faith that you would think you deserve that death on the cross. And this man who sees Jesus as king, notice how he did not do one good thing before he entered the kingdom of God. The only good thing he did was to exercise his faith and to ask Jesus to welcome him into his kingdom. That was the only thing he did. He had he done no good works. He hadn't proved himself to be worthy of God's kingdom. And Jesus looks to this man, even with mockers taunting him. He looks at this man and he sees this man's faith. And he says, you are welcome. Even in his final moments, Jesus is thinking about saving the lost. Because that's what he came to do. He came to seek and save those who are sinful and who are lost. This criminal had no idea about the theology. He was not following Jesus around the Sabbath. He was doing criminal things. This man, in that moment, he probably did things gruesome that you could ever imagine. But he was being welcomed into the kingdom of God. This is the king that we serve. And so as we stand in God's presence, my question to you is when you look at the cross, who do you see? Do you see your king reigning victorious? Or do you simply see a man who did great things that maybe we didn't ask for? For reasons maybe we may never understand. It is no wonder that as believers, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. Pick up the cross. Deny yourself. Pick up the cross and follow me. Because 
by doing that, you will find life. You see, church, we are called to a cross-shaped kingdom. Suffering shakes us so much. And sometimes, can I be honest with you, we are so quick to claim things in the name of Jesus. We're so quick to do that. But you see what Jesus, on the way to the cross and even at the cross, he was being glorified. He was on his way to glory. It's his upside down kingdom. When we follow Jesus, And we think about the sacrifices we make. All we can think about sometimes are the things that we are entitled to. The comforts of this world. Enjoying this life. And I'm sure that we can't. God has given the grace to do that. But is that really why Jesus died? Is that really what his mission was for? Should suffering really shake us that much? On one hand, I think it shakes us because we know all of us are valuable and created in the image of God. And to see somebody suffering, to see ourselves suffering, we know it breaks us. It breaks our heart. But in this life, our King who suffered and was crucified, yet being glorified at the same time, In this life, could it be that as we walk through suffering, God is doing a mighty thing in us. God is doing a glorifying work in our lives. As Christians, our focus should not just be on the benefits of following Jesus. Really, can we look at the cross and say, thank you for dying with me. I'm going to live a great life now. Can we really walk away with that attitude? Can we really say that to our King and our Savior? Can we really say you went through all of that so I could live an awesome life and a comfortable life? Could we really live a life that simply focuses on the benefits of following Jesus. Just claiming His power left, right and center just so that we would avoid certain things. Or perhaps in this life, our Christians call to really become like Jesus. Become like our King who suffered and was lifted up in glory become like the king who gave up every king kingly comfort in heaven to be with us for the sake of the kingdom of God and the future an eternal future we will be praising for eternity about church could it be that this crucified king shows us the real way to life on the cross through suffering but through his victorious power at work in it all so God 
help us to see you. Our crucified King, our crucified Savior. Help us as believers to not honor you in ways that we just want to get things from you, God. Just benefit from you. But that we would walk by faith, trusting, trusting you through every circumstance we face and desiring to be like you. Even when mockers mock us, even when people think we are foolish, that we would have the faith to know that we are walking in wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.